The sweet sound of sports you love from Sling. The collide of football pads. The squeak of shoes on a basketball court. The crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Tape Cast. Uh, this is going to be a hopefully weekly podcast with myself, Davis Maddock. Uh, I'm not going to promise you guys weekly, but uh, I've been out of the, the podcasting game too long. I have too many takes to fire off. I have too many opinions that can't be uh, put down to, I guess, 240 characters or whatever the limit is on Twitter now. I am joined this week and hopefully most weeks by my good pal, Michael Leone from dailyroto.com. But I do need to make it clear, we are not sponsored by any touting website. So there will be swearing, there will be discussion of uh, things that are currently illegal in the states that Michael and I live in such as sports betting and other uh, things of that nature. Mike, how you doing, pal? I'm doing good. I'm excited to be on this podcast for the inaugural episode. I'm glad we figured out a time. You know, I know that time difference for you can be difficult. So I still, I don't actually know what time it is where you are right now. I just correlated everything to my time in, when I put it in my calendar. I don't, you live in a fictional island to me, basically. Well, you, you did a great job. I'm the one who had like the messed up schedule. I had to delay this. So if it wasn't, if it wasn't for me, we would have already had the hot takes out. Well, you do like own a child, right? So you have a lot of, you have a lot of responsibilities. Yeah. You got, yeah, you got the whole that. child thing. Definitely. That's a big deal for sure. <laughs> but I mean, you work, you work from home so you can just like shake his little, you know, car seat, his little crib. You can hang out with your kid like while typing up your analysis of like the New York Yankees or whatever. Not exactly how it goes, but I am super lucky that my mom lives close and she babysits. Oh, that's huge. Like four or five hours a day, every day, which lets me do things like the take cast. So she's a saint. There's no two ways about it. So shout out Mama Leone. Hell yeah. But no, he's no longer at, at the stage where you could just put him in a crib and rock leave him. Yeah, he- yeah. He's all over the place. <laughs> but it's actually kind of fun because. Um, we were talking before, I've got my Garmin on, you've got your Fitbit on, and working from home sometimes the step count is pretty gross. It's pretty ugly, very, very low. But with him, the hours that I do watch him in the day, it just makes sense to just go somewhere, do something, get out of the house. So my steps have actually been a lot better with him. I have a dog and there's like a hiking trail at these apartments that I live in. So I get, I get my 10,000 in every day, no problem. It's a good yeah, so if you want to get your steps in, either have a, a baby or, or a dog. buy a dog, yeah. one or the other. All right, well, let's, uh, let's get into some takes. The reason, honestly, the reason that I finally wanted to actually start doing a podcast on my own, not affiliated with a website, was because I didn't have a platform to talk about sports betting legalization on any podcast. You know, once, once, the FI sh- once FI closed their doors, there was nowhere for me to fire these takes off. And... Uh, it's important to talk about sports betting because I'm a massive fish and I've donked off a lot of BTC over the years on sports betting. And now I can legally do that and claim that on my taxes, hopefully. But uh, I wanted to start from this point, which is I think something I haven't really heard people talk about. How much more popular do you think sports betting is going to get? Because I mean, truly, do you know anyone who would like to sports bet who could not find an avenue to doing so? It's an interesting question because I think on one end, most people feel like the people that really want a sports bet can find a way. You know, it's not that hard to find a local bookie if you want to, to bet offshore. Uh, I've got a cousin who drives up to Canada and plays those stupid parlay tickets where the odds are just horrific. But the point being that you generally can find a way if you want to. With that said, I still think the people that just assume that everyone who wants to bet is already betting are wrong. I think it is going to get a lot more popular, you know, um, even if it's just casual people who aren't betting a ton of money, maybe they're just throwing down 50 bucks every other week or every weekend on NFL football on a weekend or something. Um, 
that barrier to entry is a lot less. And I know someone like myself, for example, I don't bet a ton of money. You know, the guys at Daily Roto and I, you know, I'll kind of run a fund on Sportsbook, which is a horrific website. The reputation of it is not good, and you never know for sure if you're going to get paid. But I you just don't have you use Sportsbook.ag. Yeah, I just don't have very I, that many. That website's options. too sketchy for me to even deposit. I I've always used Bovada, and I will actually say, anyone listening, I have processed payments from them two times. And it it arrived late. It took a long time for the money to get there, but both times I did get a check. Uh, it was from like it, they they set up these like fake corporations, right? Like you cash out, and you're like getting a check from like like China or like Taiwan, like straight up. That's what shows up to your house. It's wild. But they yeah, and I actually out. have been paid by sportsbook before, but I know there's definitely stuff out there that they don't always pay. So for me, it's like I'm obviously not betting big money with a site that even though I've withdrawn and I'm paid before, I'm worried like if I ever won pig that I actually wouldn't get paid. Every so, time I deposit, I'm like, I'm not going to see this money again. Yeah, exactly. So there's this weird feeling where you want to win, but you almost don't want to win too much. And it's just well, not like you as can, much You fun. can throw a parlay on like Mark Leishman and the, and the Rockets and be like, well, if it doesn't hit, it's fine. It's fake internet money anyway. Yeah, I, w- I would have just lost. I wouldn't have been paid anyways. So <laughs> it doesn't matter. But um, I love betting golf, man. So that, that's probably my favorite to bet. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that more well, regularly. There's, there's no better sweat than betting golf. Like truly. No, I love betting top 20s. That's my thing, like long shot top 20s. Now, that's the thing too. I think sportsbook.ag, because it's probably only fish that bet on there, like me, that aren't going to get paid. They really make the odds horrific on all the good golfers. By horrific, I mean, you know, much lower. So Jordan you're not- Spieth was like, what, like four to one to win this last week? Yeah, like we do a, we do an odds comparison between them and bet 365 um, just because they're easy to scrape the odds and we can look at based on our golf i know we're going to talk about golf a little bit later on but we can see like the expected value of the bets based on our finished probabilities which is pretty cool so you can directly see if it's a good bet or not sometimes it's hard to like see like oh you know he's plus 330 for a top 20 like is that a good bet is that not a good bet so but anyways the point being that the long shots on sportsbook are you know almost always ridiculously ev if you can just withstand the variance and betting top 20s helps do that so i'm looking forward to being able to do it more regularly and do it a bit more seriously than i do now without having that concern of am i actually going to see this money or not? am i going to get paid out yeah like yeah. i i would be m- more willing to dedicate more financial resources towards sports betting and honestly actually probably take it serious i don't take most bets i play seriously at all like it's yeah, just I'm the like something I way. think there might be an edge, but I'm not going to place, I'm not going to spend too much time thinking about something, uh, you know, that isn't 100% legit, but, uh, something that is correlated to this. So both you and I mentioned the offshore sites that we use. So assuming that this becomes legal in all 50 States, or at least the States that you and I live in, where do you think you will place your sports bets? Will you, will you line shop? Will it be, you know, DraftKings or FanDuel still on the offshore sites, like a a physical location? Because there will be physical locations, especially close to you living in New York. I'd imagine that it's going to be very ripe for line shopping. You know, maybe, maybe I'm completely wrong, but like all the offshore books, like I can't do Bovada out of New York. You know, there's some of the actually okay websites out there that are more regular, reputable in sports.ag that, you know, because I'm in New York, it just seems people are more afraid to, you know, expand in New York um, right now when it's illegal with it being legal in the future. I'd imagine that won't be the case and that you can really line shop. Cause if you're honestly, if you're doing betting, if you're betting just super, super casually, it probably doesn't matter. You're probably just looking at convenience, but if you're doing even moderately seriously, it, the line you're getting is so important. It so. really is. Yeah. And I don't think, I think a lot of people are not going to know that you're right. Like they're not going to think of the difference between like minus one Oh five and minus one fifteen, which like is actually like a big difference, but you don't really think about like when I first started betting games, when I was like 17 or whatever, I I didn't, I didn't care. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, you still want to make sure like, just because it's going to be legal, you still want to make sure you're using a reputable 
source where you know you're going to get paid. Like that's what I'm most excited about is knowing that I'm going to get paid and having that confidence. So I'm not going to go crazy because there's still probably going to be some shady sites out there that you're not going to want to use. So, uh, but there are, I know uh, Wilson pointed me to a link, like a sports book review site. I'm assuming, you know, there will be more of those that pop up to kind of tell you uh, the perks of like what site you should use. I wonder if like ESPN and like Fox sports or whatever, will have like affiliate deals with online sports books like that. That would be huge. Probably. Right. I mean, why wouldn't they, that would be very good for the, well, I kind of think ESPN learned their lesson with DraftKings. So I would actually be, I I think it's not as likely as maybe you would assume that they would immediately get in. Yeah. But I think the reason with the, the issue with like DraftKings and stuff was because gambling wasn't legal and there was the whole skill versus gambling. But once you make gambling itself legal, I don't and, and the money in sports betting compared to what it is. Oh, in it, it's way more. Yeah. Way more. Yeah. It's, you know, tenfold. So uh, I'd imagine you see something like that, but it, it'll be fun to be able to shop lines. Like I was saying with the golf too, with getting very different lines, you know, there's going to be some lines where like the long shot golfer is just the way that book operates are going to, you're going to get really good EV on those, but you know, you might jump over to another book where you can at one of the top guys and actually have a better win probability because the lines there are not as egregious. So it'll be fun. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. I don't know if you've got any ideas on like how long it's going to take. I'd imagine it's still going to, it's going to take, it's going to take longer than people think. Yeah. Like I think uh, there are like some stories coming out about like, you know, I think maybe like New Jersey is a place that kind of already has had the legal framework in place for this. Like you can already play online poker in New Jersey. So like there are some states that already had a framework ready for this, but like where I live, I mean, it'll be two years probably before. Yeah, I was thinking next summer, hopefully for New York, but I really, that's really just well, a hot take as I have no, nothing to back that up. Well, it would not have happened, but your attorney general just resigned and he was super anti-gambling, super anti-daily fantasy. Um, But if the new attorney general is a little bit, it's very annoying to me. I'm hardcore left when it comes to politics, right? But leftist politicians are very anti-gambling, very anti-fantasy, and it's very frustrating to support people like that. It is because it just, it feels a little bit false you know what they're trying to do and that's when you really start to see the ugly side of politics you realize it's all about money but um i mean that's what we saw with dfs in new york once new york got their cut it was fine it passed got through which was you know it it really had nothing to do with everything they said it did it just had to do with money and that whole thing was like a disgusting show of politics even like the lobbying on the dfs sites part you know where they had to I mean, it was just this super, everyone's arguments were super flimsy, but they had to take this stance and they couldn't talk like straight because it would just hurt their argument. Like, um, yeah, the it, whole was, it was a disgusting dance thing. And, you know, the AG was saying how it's gambling, but at the same time he was saying how only the really skilled players win, which completely contradicts itself. And the daily fantasy sites themselves had their own contradictions. And, like you, you couldn't have a straight conversation and I got why, because as soon as you do have a straight conversation, you open yourself up legally to certain things, but it was really frustrating to watch. And gambling is an interesting one where I feel like left, right, you know, you just never really seem to know where people are going to fall on this one. It seems to kind well, of cause it's both, it's both a moral issue for the right, but then for the left, it's also a protecting the people issue, which I will say mm-hmm. I mean, sports gambling exists because it funnels money from people who don't have very much money to people who have a lot of money. Like, say whatever you want. More people will lose at sports gambling than they will at Daily Fantasy. And it's not money changing hands in between two users on DraftKings. It's money going from your pocket to William Hill or to wherever. And the the, the chances are, if you're listening to this podcast, yeah, maybe if you're listening to a sports podcast, you have a little bit better of an edge, but you'll probably lose over the course of your lifetime. You'll probably lose. Yeah. Rachel Nichols and Scott Van Pelt from ESPN had a good tweets on it. Basically saying what you said, where um, it, it's not a bad way. If someone wants to spend 20 bucks on a Friday night or something, and it's a form of entertainment, they probably should be able to do that. But like, don't kid yourselves at the overall arching point, which is that a lot of, uh, 
casual sports fans are going to lose money. <laughs> like I'll this admit is- it on this podcast right now, if I would not have hit Jordan Spieth at the 20 or uh, Danny Willett at the 2016 masters for as much money as I did, I would be a loser in sports betting probably. Yeah. I think I'm right around even just bouncing around. Like I said, I now with when it becomes regulated or whatever in New York, once you can actually do it legally, I'll be tracking it a lot more seriously. But now, as we were talking before, you kind of, you might throw a little bit down on a parlay you don't really care about just because. Yeah. And that's true. Like I've punted off, like, like I have money on like futures and like dumb golf bets that like, I never like, I, cause you take the much more analytical approach to golf. Whereas like, I'll listen to these podcasts and I'll be like, well, if I heard that this guy at 150 to one is a favorite of Dave Kellner, who might win, I would be dumb to not put $10 on that. And like, yeah, that's not big in and of itself. But when you do that every week for 30 weeks and none of them hit, you know, uh, yeah, the, that's minus golf. TV. I've noticed golf, both golf betting, Twitter and golf DFS Twitter. And it's interesting. Those two intersect so much a, more a than lot, any other sport. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting. They, they love the long shots. Uh, well, cause it only takes one to make your season. You hit, you hit yeah. one guy at 125 to one and you've had a profitable year. And generally, I mean, you are getting better prices on those guys. The pricing is less efficient. It just yeah. like we did the expected value on, I think it was TJ Vogel this past week was one of our top EV bets for winning. If you didn't take like just looking at the expected value of the bet, not the probability of winning the bet actually happened. And it was because we had him at a 0.46% chance winning and the sports book odds had him at a 0.26% chance winning, which percentage wise is a massive discrepancy. And that's why it was such crazy high expected value bet. But uh, when you fact, I think anyone betting needs to, you, expected value is one part of it, but you also need to look at the probability of actually winning the bet. And that's where, I don't know if you use anything like Kelly criterion. Like we said, we're just throwing money around right now, kind of casually. Yeah, no, right now so, I'm, there's no calculations there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not running anything through anything. You should just pretend you are, but we, I've well, got no, a little I thing mean, where like, there's a bet where I think like for NBA stuff. Yeah. I like, I've been betting some of these playoff series and stuff and yeah i've been looking a lot more closely and actually looking at some numbers but for golf no i'm not Drew had me put some on the sixers to win the east we were so jacked up for that it was like plus 800 i think at the time you can't, you can't do that because the i think that's a terrible bet because they just had never been there before what what is that that's that's a real thing in the watch. nba no that's a real thing in the nba experience matters so much in the playoffs well jj erotic was one of the biggest reasons they lost that series and he had the experience i mean i just think i just think that the the moment and also the i think the coaching edge in that series was like the coaching edge was absurd if you if you switch the coaches i I have people who are way smarter than me know way more than basketball than me say that if you switch the coaches it would have been 4-0 philly like that extreme totally agree here we'll we'll, we'll transition after this because we don't want this to be a two-hour podcast (laughs) who who wins the Cavs Celtics series because I think this is and one of the most fascinating series like of like the last three or four years I think the Celtics win coaching edge home court advantage they're just so even with all the injuries they've had they just they're so well-rounded they're so deep that I like the Celtics is Terry Rozier really this good because this is like insane his assist to turnover ratio is absolutely absurd. I, what, what should they do with Kyrie, Rozier, that whole – they got to get rid of somebody. I mean, well, right? what did, what did What would Rozier shoot from three over an 82-game season if he was playing as a shooting guard? I think, that, I think you answer your question that way because you let, <laughs> you let, you let Marcus Smart go um, and you – Yeah, that's, see, that's what's difficult is they're going to lose a really good player no I matter think, what they do. And I think if you, if you believe that Rozier can shoot 38% playing as the off-ball guard next to Kyrie, then you keep him. If you think that he's like a 34% three-point shooter, you keep Marcus Smart. I think it's kind of that simple. Yeah, he's probably I think, more I think, like 34%. 30, I because mean, Smart is better at everything – off the ball than Rozier is, right? I mean, is that a hot take? He's like an elite rebounder. He's a I great mean, defender. Yeah. No, I don't think that's a hot take. But, so it, who do you have winning the series? 
Oh, I think I think the Celtics do, and then I think they lose in four games. To the I mean, Warriors. it's also easy to say the Celtics because they're up two one with home court advantage, even after getting well, trounced. I mean, here we'll go. Cards on the table. I bet. I bet the Cavs in game two because I was like, there's no way LeBron is coming out and losing this game, and he had a forty two point triple double, and they still lost. So, I so that fit that that theory like there's no way LeBron's gonna lose like as if the people making the line. Haven't I think, been in this the, situation line, I think the lines for every game in the Warriors series have been bad, though. As in, they should have been more on the Warriors. Yeah, as in, like the yeah. the Rockets were favored in that first game. That was the that was the biggest NBA bet I made of the year. Actually, was I bet the Warriors pretty big in that first game? I actually bet on the Rockets with Glenn just for fun, just because I we, want the Rockets to win. But luckily, we ran it back game two, so. You bet on the Rockets. You bet on the Rockets being favored over the Warriors. And then I won. I got them plus one and a half. The next one. So, you know? It's just so horrible. Imagine the Warriors being underdogs to anyone. It was just for fun, dude. Fair. I mean, fair enough. That's what we're talking about. This is why. This is why. Galen, Galen hates the Rockets. Like either that or he absolutely sweats the Warriors. He's with you. He thinks these lines. I've been hundred uh, well, percent. I hate the Warriors too. They actually, this is a good transition because we're going to talk about the Bills and the Cowboys right now. This is a really good transition because I actually noticed this the other day. I Kevin Durant leaving Oklahoma City. I don't care as much about sports anymore. I don't care about the results of individual games for my teams as much as I used to because that was like the moment where I was like, these people do not care about me. They don't care about my life or the way that I feel. It, 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 it works both force. ways, right? I mean, you don't really care about them either unless they're wearing your jersey. I don't think that's – I think that if Durant would have left for any other team and in any other way than announcing it on the fucking Players' Tribune, I think it would have been – because I still – like like Cantor plays for the Knicks, but I still really like him. Like, I, yeah. like, like there are players that do not play for the Thunder anymore that used to that I still like and follow, but – but from hit, like I'm just, I guess I'm just saying from his point of view, he shouldn't owe me anything. He shouldn't feel bad. I'm just saying, no, no, that, not, not only that, but like for, from like his point of view, like he's going where he wants to go. What's best for him? Like, I don't think he's like saying, oh, I don't care about Thunder fans, so I'm going to go to Golden State. Like, I don't think, I don't he, think for no. you, it might feel differently for you that he went to Golden State. But as far as what that means as to how he cared about OKC, I don't think it's. No, like, he was not trying to dunk on Oklahoma City. He wasn't trying to like be like, oh, this time didn't matter at all. And honestly, if Westbrook had been more mature about the whole thing, it would be very different. But that's not the dude, type of. How do you feel about Westbrook? Like, I, that is oh, one of the players no, I am most right. conflicted on. I'll ride him to the grave. I don't care. Shoot 40 times and make one shot against the Jazz. I don't care. I'm most conflicted on him. I, I've been heavily in his corner, but it was tough at times this year. The thing that you like about a player like Westbrook as a fan is that you know no one's ever cared more in the history of basketball than he has. Oh, the, the effort is absolutely tremendous. Um, and... It just from an athleticism standpoint, you it's just gonna, see things. You just see things that you don't see. But then, from an analytical, how much he's actually helping the team standpoint, like there's obviously disconnect between those things, and it's tough to really. I mean, it's it's figure it's, out what to do with brutal. that. I know Some, when I know, he's bad, it's brutal to watch, man. But you just you I know Matt when he's when he's bad, which he was for a while. It's off, but when he's awesome, it's like basketball yeah, it's, nirvana. It's like it's like watching Allen Iverson on steroids or something when he's when he's good. Matt Kelly of uh, Player Profiler hates Westbrook so much. I I got in. That sounds like something. That sounds like an opinion he would have. Yeah, he, that makes sense. He, like. No holds bar. Absolutely hates. You know, him. you know who I hate? Carmelo Anthony. Thanks, man. Thanks for pick up that player option and just completely submarine everything. Dude, I was hopeful. I was the the guy that was like, I was pretty hopeful. Maybe too. he'll play. Maybe he'll do the Olympics, Carmelo. Right. That that was everyone's hope. If he went well, to he, Houston or OKC, it was like, could he be Olympics, Carmelo? It's it's amazing how bad he was. Like, if he didn't play, they probably won the series. He, he was he Olympics Carmelo, but he just couldn't shoot. He he just forgot how to make three pointers. Which 
yeah, if you're having Olympics Carmelo, that's the whole point of Olympics Carmelo is that he's making the three pointers. All right. So, so Bills, how many training camp videos of Josh Allen have you watched? Where are you at with Josh Allen right now? I've watched a couple. It's difficult to explain to people that I do my best to separate my fandom and my objective analysis. Yeah. Yeah role and so you know i'm watching videos of him he actually seems like a pretty cool guy you know i watched the they had a real long segment about him from his hometown and all that stuff so you know i watch that stuff i get jacked up you know i watch some of these throws from the senior bowl that are absolutely insane that there might be like four people on the planet that can make these throws so i get i get jacked up and hopeful that it works out and the ceiling's huge uh but in the anal, you know, the analyst chair, I know that you're fighting some major historical precedents, and uh, on top of that, not just with him, the decision to trade up twice, it just doesn't give you a lot of faith in the organization overall moving forward, almost regardless of what happens with Josh Allen. And it sounds like the Bills were really trying to trade up even more for Josh Allen. They just got saved by Elway being an idiot, Gettleman being an idiot. Gettleman, what a what a legend Gettleman has been throughout this whole process. Just everything oh he says is dumber than the next thing he says. Like it's it, it is baffling that he has a job. Like there are people who might not be hardcore. It's not like you need to be hardcore analytics to have a job, right? Like maybe you should have. I mean, you should have to have some knowledge of that, some to incorporate that to an extent. But there are people out there that at least they're not outwardly almost bragging that they don't use it you know like like he was almost bragging that they weren't going to trade that pick and they were going to take Saquon Barkley which is going to be a nightmare like Saquon is going to have like 1600 combo yards and like 80 catches and they're going to win like five games it's and he's amazing too and that's the other thing people it's tough to explain to people this reminds me people are going to be like they made the right pick. Look how good he is. He's great. To bring it back to the Bills, it reminds me of the Watkins <laughs> trade where – Oh, was Watkins ever really that good that people said that, though? He was pretty good there for, for a while. Like his – I know you'll mock him because you hate him and you're No, he, the thing person. is is he's going to be really good this year. He's going to be the best year of his career this he, year in Kansas City. His – he had like a 16 game pace that when you adjusted for how often the bills threw was, you know, pretty close to Odell Beckham's 16 game start. If you go back and look at it and it just, he just, because he missed some time and because the bills didn't throw a lot, I think it went overlooked like how good he was there. Those first couple of seasons. Sure. I buy that. I, I buy but, it. Anyways, the point, the point being though, that there's no way the Bills should have traded an extra first-round pick for the ability to draft him in a draft that had Mike Evans and Odell Beckham and somebody was going to fall. And sure enough, the Giants, I think, took Odell Beckham in our original spot. They like, did. Can you imagine spending an extra first-round pick so you could have? And, that, and that's the whole thing is these GMs just get so egotistical to believe that they're that much better at evaluating players. Right. Whereas all the good, all the good teams know, just get, take as many bites at the apple as you can. I mean, at, at this point, that's just like such tired, like everyone in the world who's intelligent knows you just want to take a lot of draft picks. And with the Josh Allen thing, the scariest part is maybe they, maybe he does end up defying the odds and is awesome and really good. We might not know because the team is so fucking it's bad. So, it's so bad, yeah. I mean, the offense is egregious. I don't think people in Buffalo really understand. And, and the other thing, too, is because we played in a division with Tom Brady and he's just bashed our brains in for 20 years or whatever, people honestly think that if you have the quote-unquote franchise quarterback, that that quarterback is just going to elevate everybody and make it work. And it is funny watching people say with Josh Allen, oh, well, he didn't have the talent around him in college, and that's why he was bad after a year of just absolutely throwing Tyrod Taylor under the bus. Under the bus when he was throwing to, like, Kelvin Benjamin wearing soiled pampers. 
Kelvin Benjamin is so slow, man. It's like absurd. He's bad. I mean, he's big. Yay. Good. We just he should, he should be a tight end. He should be Jason. He should be Jimmy Graham. I just I can't believe they went into this offseason and their wide receiver acquisition was Jeremy Curley and drafting uh, this Ray Ray guy over that Equimanius St. Brown who's like 6'5", and they drafted this Ray Ray gadget guy who's like 5'10". They instead. love the gadget guys. The Bills love the gadget guys who like can't play. But if you're like – and if you're clearly rebuilding, like why, do you, why would you get a gadget guy that might be – okay, maybe he's more solidly useful in a few ways and more likely to have some level of usability, but how do you not take a chance on developing you know, a wide receiver one, wide receiver two? They're obviously going to suck. I don't know. There's so many little things that in and of themselves don't seem like a big deal. But when you look at the big picture, it's like like Chris Ivory, Mike Tolbert. Like You just wonder if they have any idea whatsoever what they're doing offensively. Well, speaking of gadget players, my favorite team just traded for my least favorite player. Oh, my God. The Dallas Cowboys. Holy shit, dude. Traded for so, T-Bone Austin. So the quick recap of the offseasons for our two teams. I very publicly stated, I don't want the Bills to draft Josh Allen. I don't want them to trade up. I will be okay with anything other than them doing both. And they did both. And then your team, out of like nowhere, just wasn't even a possibility on the table, traded for the player that you hate most in the entire NFL. It goes against everything you stand for. Not only that, they have doubled down on this decision, saying they want to give him 12 to 24 touches a game. They're calling him a web back, whatever that means. They don't (laughs) fire Jason Garrett. They don't try and talk to Des Bryant early in the offseason about restructuring his contract or cutting him. So they let Bryce Butler, who is the best wide receiver prospect on the team, go to Arizona for $400,000 a year, like basically the veteran minimum. And they get rid of my my other favorite prospect on the team, Ryan Switzer, who was like a really dynamic punt returner and like was getting along is much better than Cole Beasley, by the way, Ryan Switzer is. And they trade him to the Raiders to make room on the roster for Tavon Austin. And it's just like, there's no plan because no one knows who actually runs the team. No one knows if Jerry or his son actually runs the team. Jason Garrett is just this like laughable coach who got, I mean, how much better can you run as Jason Garrett than discovering Tony Romo on your bench and then having Dak Prescott fall to you and play so well? Like, it's, it's, he runs so hot. And the, the whole team's idiot philosophy is that if you play slow, the defense can't get exposed. And it's, it, which has been disproven. I'm completely. Yeah. And you, you mentioned when Durant left how you just cared a little bit less. Like each year with the Bills, which is weird to say because they broke the playoff drought last year, but just the way they run things. Um, and as you, you, know, you initially get these new coaches, new GMs in, and you convince yourselves it could be different. But as you start to see the right on the wall that it's not, I definitely don't have the same level of enthusiasm that I used to. Like I still get excited. You know, I've been a crazy Bills fan since I was little, but – uh, I'm sure this season is going to be ugly. There's going to be times that I'm on NFL red zone and not watching the bills, which I know makes me sound like a horrible fan, but it's, it's tough to care that much every single year about a team that's just run horribly. My, I mean, my moment for the Cowboys was the Des game when the, the Des caught it game. That was that was the pinnacle of me caring, and then since then it's gone. Even that even was that, more like a screw you sports. This is just right. Dumb. Yeah. It was just like if if this can't be ruled a catch, if they can't do this properly, then like why should I be so emotionally invested? Because the Cowboys are the team I care the most about of all the teams that I root for and all the athletes that I like and watch. The Cowboys have always been in first place, even even in the Durant Westbrook Harden Thunder years. It, the Cowboys were still ahead, and they so my dad and his brothers they got the payoff of that right like they got the glory years of dallas being yeah, at the expense of my dad right whereas <laughs> i have nothing i have no positive every good cowboys year 
was followed by like, you know, losing, like getting mercy ruled by the Vikings or, you know, Aaron Rodgers destroying us or, you know, Tony Romo fumbling us. Like it always ended bad. Dude, I feel you. I've had season tickets for the, the first year my dad and I got season tickets. I was in eighth grade. It was the first year of the playoff drought. So we had season tickets for a 17 year playoff drought. Uh, and we're, we're not going to have them this upcoming year. First time, you know, we had them from the start of the playoff drought to the end of the playoff drought, but you know, we don't have them coming up this year. It was a little bit sad, but at the same time, it just goes back to what we're saying. It's hard to keep caring at that same level. It is. It's just, it's hard. It's hard to sustain an emotional connection when you just get dunked on it. Like anytime you open yourself up to being vulnerable, just dunked. Uh, we're going to skip golf though. Cause we're, we're, I don't want this to be like a two hour podcast. So we're going to talk golf next week. Cause I think this conversation cool. is more interesting to most people who listen. We're going to talk crypto. Uh, if you don't like cryptocurrency, if you don't like Bitcoin, if you don't like uh, Ethereum, that's not your bag. You just like sports. You can feel free to, uh, to tune out, but uh, we are going to talk crypto right now. First question I have for you, Mike, what is your portfolio like are you are you mostly bitcoin are you long on any particular shit coin what's uh what are you, what's it looking like for you so let me pull up my block folio real quick okay that was gonna be that was gonna be my second <laughs> question is because the the block folio addiction is how i separate people from that like own a little bit of bitcoin to like people that are addicted to it and if you if you refresh your block folio more than once a day like you're you're in the gang yeah i think my most liked tweet ever was you know, you know, asterisk buys crypto to hold long term space space checks block folio 30 times a day. <laughs> so I, everyone seemed that seemed to resonate with everyone. So yeah, not just don't. me, but I am. Um, let me look in terms of percentages here. I'm about 50% Bitcoin, 40 to 40 to 50%. You know, obviously it hovers because sure. it's so volatile it, that it yeah, can, the answer is going to be different um, an hour from now. And then like 35% Ethereum. So I'm pretty heavy in those two. A uh, little bit of Monero, a little bit of Litecoin. And then I do have, I gave Logan Hitchcock, who writes for Daily Roto, to some money to, to just- get on, To get on Christopia and around. just buy shit coins. Yeah, exactly. I tracked that one on Delta. Got it separated. If you, you check out the Delta app, that's pretty good if you've got the shit coins. Um, that that's crazy to watch, man. And then like our goal there is to just get more Bitcoin. So it's weird because like I'm trying not to watch the no, but then but then when, when when the alt spikes, you sell it back into Bitcoin. Yeah, right. Because the idea is to just acquire more Bitcoins so that because the idea is you believe in Bitcoin long term, and this is just a way to get more. Well, Bitcoin that is not the idea for everyone. Direct. That is as no, so it's not. It's not for everyone. So because you can just make a quick buck doing it, but like our idea is. You want Bitcoin long term. This is the way we can make more Bitcoin. We can get more Bitcoin rather than just directly buying it. Is like the theory behind it. I don't know if it works. Is working in practice. I mean, Bitcoin. Oh, Bitcoin down, does like we're down over the long term, but in the short term, it gets beaten by a lot of things just due to the way market caps work. Right. So, we're, like, we're down in USD because Bitcoin's been down, but we're actually we've acquired more Bitcoin through the alt. Like, we're up in terms of BTC to, you know. Whatever. There was a there was a little alt season like maybe like a month and a half ago. Kind of everything oh, kind of, everything kind of got greened up a little bit. We it, we got in the tail end of that. Our fund doubled in a week completely, and then within a month after that, we were down. It was cut in half. <laughs> from the, we did not pocket enough, but it was hard though because the idea, the, our other idea, like our main idea, like I said, was to get more Bitcoin. But our other idea was like. Let, let's just see if we can get really lucky. <laughs> sure, that, you know? and that's and that's you know? why and that's why trading and that's why profiting in this in anything is so hard. It's because yeah, the logical thing is to go in with a plan and then follow that plan, right? To be like, okay, I'm going to trade this up. I'm going to double my Bitcoin, or I'm going to hundred x my USD, right? And that's where yeah. and that's where you get greedy. And it's just like, well, shit, what do I do? Market timing is the equivalent of GMs trading up in the draft. <laughs> 
the, right. this, yeah. the egotistical belief that you can time the market. And I think that's one, like if you're getting into it, one mistake I made was like, I didn't know a lot about it. And then I learned a lot about it in a week and I was like, okay, I'm convinced I'm going to buy all my Bitcoin and all my crypto now at once and just be done with it. Like that was kind of my initial thought, which was really stupid. I should have done an average cost buy-in. Um, but that's what I did. And it's crazy, even though, you know, someone like me who does DFS for a living where you have to put your emotions on the sideline as best you can and just have a plan and make smart decisions and understand there's going to be variance. With all that said, when it's going up, it feels like it's never going to stop. And when it's going I down, mean, there, feels- there's like truly no, like there's nothing like just feeling buying something and having it go up 300% is like, it is like, cause I bought in it at, the Bitcoin that I hold now, because I, I lost some other at a cheaper price. Um, I bought in Bitcoin for the first time at like $400 and then lost it all sports betting. But the Bitcoin I hold now, the, I bought in for the first time at like 2300 So when, you know, that week when it was at like 18000 yeah. I, I, it was just like, I was like doing cartwheels, right? Like it just felt so good. And then, you know, now it's like, what? yeah, you made a modest profit, but it doesn't really matter. Yeah, my whole thing is that, you know, I'm not putting in more money than I can afford to lose. My idea is sort of anti-fragile approach. Um, if you read Taleb at all, his book, Anti-Fragility, talks about the barbell strategy where you do, you know, kind of like 90% pretty conservative stuff. And then you do 10%, like yeah. very high risk, high reward. And you kind of just say, everything in the middle is not worth it because it has more risk than you probably think. And it doesn't that's what That's what off. my portfolio is like. I'm like 50% Bitcoin, 40% Ethereum, 10% just total shit coins. Like I have like, you know, 109 stellar lumens sitting around in a wallet somewhere. So like that, <laughs> that's like worth nothing, right? Like it's worth like pennies. Yeah. So I would definitely say average cost buy-in if you get in though and like slowly get up to the number you want. Because the, the issue I got in then is it tanked. Like I got Bitcoin mostly at like 13 to 15. And then it tanked and it was like, I believe in this. I should be smart and buying now. But it was hard to do that. One, because the emotions in it. And two, just because I had kind of, when I first bought in, just been like, I'm going to buy in. I'm going to wait three years. You know, I'm not into like mess around, do anything short term. But because I did it that way, I was kind of in as much as I wanted to be in. So I didn't really have the capital to buy back when it was low. I eventually did end up buying back when, you know, Ethereum and Bitcoin really tanked. Like I got some more Bitcoin in at 6K. I'm very jealous that you've got, you know, your initial starting point at 2K. But it's a wild ride. I've gotten, I've, Gotten to the point where I don't check portfolio nearly. I go, I go through phases, right? Like I go through phases where I like won't check it for a couple days. But I'm, I'm reading the Bitcoin Standard right now, which is this amazing book by Safadin Amus. Um, I'm actually gonna try and see if he wants to do this podcast. He's like, he's hilarious on Twitter. He's like the biggest Bitcoin maximalist. Like everything other than Bitcoin to him is a shit coin. Like Ethereum, shit coin, Litecoin shit coin like mm-hmm. he's like talking to he's like dunking on charlie lee on twitter and but the the book itself if you read it it will make you want to convert your life savings into bitcoin because and i'm honestly starting to buy into it a little bit because the the general thesis of the book is that government money is unsound and because it can be printed and manipulated at the discretion of like whoever happens to be in charge at the time there's just no way over the long term that holding your money in US dollars or British pounds or whatever whatever government printed money, it, it just cannot be good. It, it is just definably bad. And so I think that kind of no matter what the Bitcoin price is, it's going to be worth more two or three years in the future from when you buy it. Like I, I kind of believe that Bitcoin 50 years from now will be like gold. A little bit like i actually do kind of believe that yeah i'm not all the way there but i feel like there's enough of a chance and enough people that are smart like this sounds like i'm a big sheep but when there's a bunch of people whose methodologies i respect who i know are just sharper than me are into it i'm gonna take my chances on those types of things and like i said when when technology gets this big and this popular like what example would you have of a technology being this good that then goes away? Like, I don't, right. I, there's not really, 
there's not really, I think that the issue is for it to take like that next step. There, there is this barrier of entry where it's pretty intimidating to buy Bitcoin and put it on a treasure or a wallet or whatever. Yeah, and I mean, the, the technical, the technical barrier right now is quite high. Like, tra- like the idea that if you made a typo when you were transferring your money that you could lose, like if you bought 10 K worth of Bitcoin, you want to transfer it to your wallet and you just accidentally typed in the wrong address your money would just be gone forever. I like, yeah. Like what percentage like, that's of, scary. of what percentage of the American populace do you think owns or even not even owns has a, like a Coinbase or a Gemini account? I think, God, I'm, I'm terrible at estimates like that, but I do think there's a big difference between people that probably buy someone, someone Coinbase where it is, well, hundred percent. Coin Coinbase is like the ten-team standard league on ESPN. Yeah, right. Yeah, like like that's and I, I don't like keeping my money on the exchange. But someone who's just doing it casually probably would. I think all all where, my friends keep their Bitcoin on exchanges. None of yeah. I'm the only I'm the only one of my real life friends who has a, a wallet. I think it's really dumb, but also. I don't, I actually don't think it's very realistic that Coinbase gets hacked. Maybe, maybe it's possible, but I don't think it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm I have a little bit on Coinbase, but like most of my stuffs, I've transferred to the wallet. But like that whole process is not easy. No, it's, the first time you send Bitcoin to a hard wallet, like you're gonna be shitting. Like I was like sweating the first time I sent it to the wallet because I was like, what if I do this wrong? Yeah, and this is yeah, all gone. We were, <laughs> we were talking about sports betting, how we don't want to bet too much because we might win and never see the money. Like there's still an irrational part of me that is like, Bitcoin's going to go to a hundred K and I'm something's going to happen and I'm never going to actually realize it. Like I'm, I'm going to lose my wallet or, and the seed. And this is actually irrational. It's not going to happen, but like there is part of that in my brain that just feels like it's going to hit and you're going to fuck it up somehow. And you're never actually even going to realize it. Like that I mean, would that, be, that happened to people that happened nope. to people who, who bought it in 2012. Yeah. And like, I actually listened to a, a good, good podcast recommendation, NPR's planet money. Very good. And during the Bitcoin boom, like kind of after Thanksgiving, that was when it really hit. There was an episode where they talked to a guy who bought like 200, 300 Bitcoins when it was worth like, you know, a nickel. And, which was going through his attic trying to find the old jump drive that he put them all on. He didn't Did find, find it. it. No, he didn't find it. And he was like, he was like depressed. He was like distraught. Cause you know, that was, he had a, you know, he had a million dollars and and he lost it. He couldn't find it. I'm going to check my Bitcoin wallet. I, I Pretty much once a week, I, I plug my Bitcoin wallet in and check it just to make sure it's all there. That's horrifying. To, and it is, it is, at the same time, it's kind of shitty for you to be so depressed over something where it's not like, like it's not like he spent a million dollars on something and lost no, but, it. But that's unrealized value. I get it. I would no, be, no, 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 I no, no. I, I, I get, like, I, I would be inconsolable. It's like when you don't win a DFS contest because you made the wrong one v one swap and it's like a six figure yeah that's that's horrible like and it's horrible but like it is also terrible that it can like it shouldn't affect us as much as it does but i totally get why because i'm the exact same way this is a this is a good way for us to wrap up i i didn't hear one person did not see one person discuss this but i think sports betting legalization in the united states is going to have an impact on bitcoin's price because that was one of its main use cases, right? Like mm-hmm. the reason I initially purchased Bitcoin, the way a lot of people, are, I mean, probably three to four of my friends in real life, their first purchase of Bitcoin was used to place on Bovada or Nitrogen to start making sports bets. And I think once you're able, I, I can see it going two ways. You're now able to use USD, Right which makes the whole thing easier and gets Bitcoin out of the way. Or second, you want to keep your sports betting profits away and from government eyes, not taxable. So that gives more of a use case to not only Bitcoin, but like Monero and Zcash, which is Zcash now available on Gemini. And those are 
you know, privacy coins. So mm-hmm. untraceable. Do you, do you see legalization having an impact on the price at all? I feel honestly, like, I just feel like that's above my head. I'm not smart enough to figure out what's going to happen there. No, it's I do, above my head too. That's why it's just, I do I wonder the, like the, the first scenario you played out where people use the USD and they don't use it as much. What's interesting though, is because Bitcoin's gotten so big since people first started doing that. Like you, you said you bought it solely for that purpose, but even if you decided to sports bet in USD, it's not like you'd be looking to get rid of your Bitcoin now because it's gotten so big since then. So it is true. I would never sell it, Bitcoin. Right. So like it's, it is kind of interesting. It's not like, if that happens, you're going to see people mass selling off Bitcoin. I don't, at least I don't think, because I think anyone who's savvy enough to buy Bitcoin to bet online probably understands the value on it has shifted so much. Yeah. It just, I, it wouldn't be, I do think that is something that was keeping the demand for it even. And now Mm -hmm. that demand I think is going to be less I, I, it's hard for me to say, what the biggest demand for Bitcoin is. I do think the weaker the US dollar becomes, the the more the enticing it is to buy Bitcoin. Just the more chaotic our financial systems in general. Yeah. Get. And that's that's like the I mean, I don't know even know how many people know a ton about Satoshi or Bitcoin, but the whole impetus for creating Bitcoin was like the giant house of cards that came tumbling down in the 2008 housing crash. Uh, read the Bitcoin standard, everyone. That is that is my advice from you today. It's like, even if you're, I, and I'm not a pure Bitcoin maximalist either. Like I own Ethereum and shit coins and whatnot, but it, it makes you, it makes you think, it also makes me care way less about politics and just being like these people are all on the same team and that team is to is to fuck me the team the team exists to fuck me you know it's pretty depressing i think i feel like even the people that don't know they're on that team are on that team like the people that even have good intentions are on that team and i don't think there's that many people in that bucket but even the ones that are yeah it's pretty depressing Good way, good way to end the first take cast. <laughs> Leone, thanks for thanks for joining me, pal. Hopefully uh we will be back or in some form. I'll have some guests for you guys next week. Uh, if you have any feedback for me, uh you guys know where to reach me on Twitter at Davismatic. Uh you guys can email me, Davismatic at gmail.com. Uh probably we'll have like a theme song and stuff maybe next week. I'm working on some stuff behind the scenes. Maybe we'll find a sponsor for the show. If you want to sponsor the show, email me too. Uh, But uh, everyone, thanks for listening and hopefully see you back next week. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash active cash.